Hello, welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. My name is Rob Dempsey. I'm a leader in our high school ministry here at Brookwood and serve and switch on Sunday mornings. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, continues in our series on experiencing the presence of God. If you want to watch this message or listen to this week's worship, just go to our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or on the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Have you heard an answer this week? How much are you praying? Have you prayed with power this week? Have you cried out in desperation? God will answer. God will answer. And when he does, we'll experience God. You can't be unchanged if you have an actual experience with God. So we continue this morning our series called Experiencing God. Today's message is entitled Crisis of Belief. We're using Moses' life to examine, to discover these principles, these truths, or as Experiencing God calls it, these realities about our relationship with God. We could use many other biblical characters, but Moses is a good one to use. Moses received an assignment from God, and that assignment was to lead Israel out of slavery. Take out your message guide, and you'll see his response there at the top of the outline. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses didn't think he was capable of accomplishing God's intimidating assignment. Was he? Was he? No. He wasn't. It's true he wasn't. And so this morning we'll focus on reality God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a what? Crisis that requires faith and action. Now, when we read the word crisis, what do we think? Give me a definition. How many of you had a crisis this week? What was it? What, how'd you respond? What, what caused it? A crisis. Fear. See, we tend to define crisis as a traumatic or a stressful event that creates urgency. Is that fair? However, the original meaning, the etymology of the word, taken from Latin and also from Greek, The word is spelled crisis with a K, almost the same spelling. But what it means is a decision, a separating judgment or a turning point. And it's actually related to the words critic, critical, critique. 
See, a crisis is a turning point. We label a crisis as a time to be frantic and out of control, don't we? But for a believer, a crisis is a turning point that calls for a decision. Specifically, a decision about what you believe about God. Like, like Moses, we face crises when we must decide what we believe. A crisis of belief first results from an assignment that is beyond my ability. We return back to Exodus 3, and you know this passage by now. It'll be on the board, on the screen. But beginning at verse 9, look, and this is the angel of the Lord speaking from the burning bush. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. See, when God informs us of something he wants us to do, it will often be beyond my, our abilities. And yet when we hear something that we think might be from God, but it sounds like something we can't do, how do we respond? Turn away. That must not be for me, right? <clears throat> but it'll be, when God speaks, it will often be beyond our abilities, our experience, our talents, and our resources to perform. See, God reveals his plans to us, not because he needs our help, or he even thinks we're capable of accomplishing them. Rather, he wants us to experience him, to come to know him better as he works through us to fulfill his purposes. See, anything you can complete using your own assets, which is again, financial, intellectual, talent, whatever. Anything you can do within your own ability, using your own assets, doesn't require God. He doesn't have to be involved at all. So what we believe about him, does it change? Does it? Come on, Brandon, does it change? Say it. No, it doesn't change. Because you don't change in your belief about God unless he does something in you and through you that you don't expect. If you already have the ability, why would, why would you change? You don't need God at all to do what you already have the ability to do. And we don't grow spiritually that way. See, if God gives me an assignment that I know or at least I think I can handle, 
that might be an indication that it's not an assignment from God at all. That it's just something I conjured up that won't threaten me too much. That won't challenge me too much. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? I hear something from God, but I got to change it a little bit to something that I can really pull off. Anybody ever done that? Now, what you've come up with might be good. It might even be Christian. But it's not an experience of God. And it doesn't change you. Exodus 3.11. But Moses protested, and this was our theme verse. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses knew he was insufficient. That's the start of growth. Moses knew he wasn't up to the task. And God said in verse 12, I will be with you. I will be with you. See, God-sized plans require us to rely on him because only he possesses the power, the assets, the talents, the abilities to complete those plans, which enables us to experience him and transforms our beliefs about God. See, what you believe about God will not change merely by you reading another verse. Do you know this? Your thinking about God, even about yourself, will not change other than through an experience of God's Spirit. You can have lots of information. I mean, don't, us all, don't all of us know more Bible than we obey? What's that about? We don't really believe it. We know it. We can recite it. We don't really believe it. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. With God, everything is possible. Now see, our humanly impossible task, anybody have any right now? Let me see some hands, honestly. There's something in your life, something in your family, something in your world that's humanly impossible. Anybody have that? You're at a good place. You're at a good place. Now, our humanly impossible task, they may not involve escaping actual enslavement. But slavery takes a lot of different forms. What about the captivity of addiction, the confinement of fear, the domination of immoral living, the oppression of anger? the imprisonment of shame, the incarceration of greed. There are lots of forms of enslavement. Has God given you an assignment that you cannot accomplish on your own? I wanna see some hands. 
God has given you an assignment. Hold them up, hold them up. Because I want you to know this, that you cannot accomplish on your own. See, what I'm trying to do is make you see it. Because what we do is usually we hear it, then we doubt it, then we adjust it into something more domesticated. Is that right? We modify it. A crisis of belief requires faith and action to respond. After hearing God's crisis-producing assignment, what we do next reveals what we really believe about God. Is God all-powerful? Do y'all believe that? Whoever believes it, answer me. Is God all-powerful? Is he capable of accomplishing everything he decides to do? Well, then why do you live as though he's not? Why do you refuse to take on that task that you know he's given you? Anybody there? I wish this pastor would shut up. (laughs) And I came, I came and I thought it might rain, but I came. And he's hurting my feelings. Why do we hesitate, even refuse attempting what we know he's calling us to accomplish? We're human. Who said they're human? Do you have the Spirit of God? Then you aren't merely human. You're superhuman. If you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you are not human. A God-sized assignment that causes a crisis always requires faith. What is faith? You know this passage, Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. Let me put it another way. Faith is the conviction that what God has promised or proposed will happen. Conviction, not wishful thinking. See, unfortunately, there's some unbiblical teaching that says faith is you mustering some belief without doubting. And if you can do that, then God will be obligated to do what it is that you want. Anybody ever heard that? Well, the object of your faith in that instance is what? It's self. It's your faith. The object of your faith is your faith. That's ridiculous. The the measure of faith is its object always. See, now it's okay to pray and hope for something I want to happen. There's nothing wrong with that. That's appropriate. A reconciled relationship, a job, a promotion, an illness that you hope will be healed. 
all of these are good things. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with asking God for these things, these good things. But they're not the object of faith unless, unless what? You got to say it loud. Unless God has promised you that. See what I'm saying? I can only have faith in that which God has promised. I can hope for things. I can ask for things. I can wish for things. But I can only have faith because faith is the conviction that something he said will actually happen. You see the difference? Nothing wrong with asking for the desires of your heart. And sometimes God gives us those, you see? But it's different than faith in what he has said and he has promised. And we base our lives on his promises, not on what we desire. Second Corinthians 5, 7. For we live by believing and not by seeing. In other words, we live by faith, not by sight. Do you see how sight is the opposite of faith? Because if we can figure out how something is going to be accomplished in a practical way, using our own resources, is faith required? It's not required. You hear me? I'm not saying there's not some good things that don't require faith. But don't misunderstand. You're not acting in faith. See, here's the thing. Do you think that we try to build our lives on faith? Humanly. There's, here's where the humanly comes in. Do we want to live, build our lives on faith not naturally, not naturally. What we naturally try to build our lives on is something within our, what? Within our own control. See, we really, we really move toward living lives where faith's unnecessary. And we just hope to get into heaven. So we have to have faith that because we can't control that. But we really want to manage this everything on earth within our ability because then we don't, we don't have to face the stress of crisis of belief. We don't have to live in utter reliance on God's intervention. Does that please God? Does it please God when we live that way? Y'all sure of that? Or y'all just trying to pacify me so I'll let you go eventually? <laughs> we need to get this, y'all. We must, we must get this. It's, it's crucial. Hebrews eleven six, Because it's impossible to please God without faith. 
And anyone who wants to come to him must believe God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, here's the thing. Individuals cannot please God without living by faith. Churches cannot please God without living by faith. And what we truly believe will always be displayed through our actions. Do y'all believe that? What you truly believe is always displayed in your actions. And this includes what we believe about God. Luke 6, 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Faith is always expressed through obedience. Because see, if we don't obey, we don't really believe that what God is saying is true. James 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? The Greek in that question implies a no. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Mere faith, unless it's evident in our lives, what it really means is that's really not faith. It might be wishful thinking, It might be saying what you would like to be true, but we always display what we truly believe. Any exceptions to that? Y'all aren't gonna give in this easy, are you? Are there any exceptions to that? Okay, you gotta look at that in the mirror because I'm saying what I do reveals what I believe about God regardless of what I say. What does your life reveal about your belief in God? If someone could film you 24 hours a day, look at your checkbook, look at your calendar, see how you live, hear what you say. If you could if you could get that and watch it and then distill out of that what you believe about God, because that's where it's to be found. That's where it's to be found. Follow me 24 hours and you'll know what I believe. Not what I say up here, unless what I live reflects what I'm saying. You see my point? It's true of me, it's true of you. A crisis of belief reveals God to a watching world. People become interested in God when they see him at work through his people. And our culture learns about his nature when they see it displayed in the activity of his people. Some folks believe God will never ask them to undertake anything that they can't afford. 
You believe that? Or they don't have the necessary gifts or the talents to do it. Or, or they might be just afraid to do it. God won't ever call you to do something you're afraid of doing. Who thinks that? God will always call you to do something you're afraid of doing. And maybe only call you to do things you're afraid of doing. Will he call you to something that you really think is impossible? What about reconciling with that family member where hostility has stood for decades and yet you hear God saying, go back, go back, go back. And our answer is, well, he won't listen to me. She won't talk to me. And yet God's saying, go back. See, if our community is going to see God at work, they have to observe more than just sincere Christians doing the best they can. Watchers must see God at work in our lives, attempting the impossible and experiencing changed lives that cannot be explained otherwise. Does your life confound someone who's known you for many years? Because it's so different and the difference is inexplicable. You're on the right track. When we accomplish things that only can be explained by God's involvement, we provide evidence that God is real to an unbelieving, skeptical, but nevertheless watching world. Moses couldn't leave lead Israel out of slavery. He couldn't cross the Red Sea for sure. He couldn't provide water from a rock or food it found on the ground in the morning every day but the Sabbath because none of these things were humanly possible. Exodus 14, it's on page 59 in this, in this Bible available here. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power of the Lord had unleashed, the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians they were filled with awe. Some translations, they feared the Lord. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. When the world sees something happen that only God can do, they become interested. 
they fear him. It's interesting, isn't it? In our culture, we so want to domesticate God that we want to just make him this sort of toothless lion who just is pleading with you to give him a chance. But how can that be God? How can we domesticate God and he be God? How can he, we turn him into a weak, pleading God? It's not who he is. He's a God who's good. He's a God who's gentle toward us. But where does wisdom begin? Y'all know the scripture. Fear of God. Does it mean just shaking in your boots of, of sheer terror? It's reverent all, but sometimes it's shaking in your boots too. Because how dare I to insult God? Boy, that sounds, that's the Old Testament God. So did God, what, matured? He, he changed? God is God. He's invited us into relationship, loving relationship with him. He hasn't invited our world to disrespect him, minimize him, ignore his word. See, our world sees devoted people building churches, participating in worship services. Those are good things. Taking mission trips, doing community projects, serving God to the best of their ability. But I'm not sure they're seeing God. You understand, y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm not sure they're seeing God. Nick, you think they're seeing God when we do our best? We have to do the impossible. We have to do what he calls us to do. Not what we and our ego want to do, what he calls us to do. See, if our community doesn't see something happen that can only be explained in terms of God's activity, then we're not attempting anything God can do. I don't need to tell any of us that our culture is in rapid moral decline, right? And God and God's word are, are belittled because God's people aren't standing on anything. Why should we think the culture should believe in God when they can look at us and they don't see anything exceptional happening? If I'm just as materialistic, just as immoral, just as common as everyone else in the community, why would they? have any regard for God. I'm just being honest today. I hope I try to be honest every week, but we got to get at this. You know, I don't know about you, but I was astounded that, you know, Ron Reagan's ad at the Democratic primary um, at the, during the debate when he was trying to raise support for the Freedom Against Religion Foundation. 
And he closed by saying, I'm a lifelong atheist and I don't fear burning in hell. That happens when there's no fear of God in the land. See, these Egyptians came to fear God because they saw the power of God. And even though they didn't convert, they said, we're not fooling with him. We're not minimizing him. We're not disrespecting their God. What are we doing? What am I doing? That means too, what are you doing? that can only be explained by the reality of God in your life. Let, I mean, be honest. Let's, some of us give very little, serve less, show up occasionally, take interest in nobody's life, nobody else's life, and change none at all. How does that display the presence and the power of God? You know, if God addressed each of us tonight and said, what in you proves me? What about you proves I'm real? And what do people see? Is that a fair question? Does God speak to you? What about you proves me? What if God said that to us? And I'd have to say that for our church. As I studied this week, I thought, what are we doing as a church? What are we attempting that will fail unless God intervenes? You know what? Am I afraid of that? Yeah. Am I afraid of being embarrassed, humiliated because we fail at something? Yeah. But that's not God, that's the flesh. You know, in 2012, I think, is that right, Betty? 2012, we, we um, thought God was calling us to a great work in India. And that work would have meant adding more than a million dollars to a six something, over $6 million budget, which we didn't quite make the year before that. We went off because I felt the need for us. I said, we must hear from God or we'll just, we'll not make this. We went, we went to a retreat, the leadership of the church. And the, the retreat really was for all of us to learn one that God really will speak to us. And we can hear, if we ask him direct questions, he'll give direct answers. All of us weren't convinced of that, including me. So we spent a weekend just spending time asking God questions that he answered for each of us. We returned home after that. And my challenge to each of us was now pray and ask God what he wants to do about this overwhelming issue in India. The children, as you know, were enslaved. God told every one of us the same thing. 
do it, do it, do it, do it. The very next year, our collections increased more than a million dollars in one year. And it was only a six million something dollar budget. One year. And so we've celebrated that. And each year we've given, we were given a million three for five years. Now we give 800 and something thousand a year. And, and oh, isn't that wonderful? It's great. Yes, it's great. But you know what? There's 10,000 more children today that need to be fed. And you know what? There are so many of us By God's leading, we ought to be able to do something about this. But you know what it takes? It takes every one of us. And some will say, oh, but there's more things to do locally. Well, here's, we're involved in a myriad of things locally, and I want us to be involved in something major locally. Again, that's a God-sized assignment that we have yet to discover. But I'll tell you this about India. These children are desperate. They're untouchable. They can't, they can't be educated. There are hardly any jobs they're allowed to do. They're treated as though they have no value. The culture's unconcerned with them. Their leaders are being attacked and put to death even. And these children are risking starving. And we know this, we know these children are being taught the good news. See, some social programs in the U.S. that are good that we can involve, be involved with, we're disallowed to spread the good news. We, we have to be involved where the good news is spread. We have to put our resources there. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not, I'm not taking up a collection. I'm asking you to pray. And I want to see the hand of every person who will pray and ask God what he wants. Y'all hold up just a minute before leaving. I want y'all to involved in this too. I want every hand up that will pray this week. Every hand that will pray. And ask God, what do you want us as a church to do? What do you want me as an individual to do? Ask God, write down his response. Then I want you to send it in to response at brookwoodchurch.org. Well, how's the church gonna do what a thousand people recommend? We're not, but if God's involved, there will be a consensus of what he says. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I still look pretty good, don't I, Aubrey? But I have a handful of years left. I want to be on the edge of where God's working. I'm not satisfied with having a good church. We must be. And we're not even interested in being a, quote, great church that the community thinks. We're interested in being a church that the community goes, I don't know how those people accomplish those things. And the only answer is God. You want to be a part of that? Pray and let me hear what God says. Father, we thank you for this word. 
Just please speak. Don't let us be complacent, God. Help us to know you truly. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you can experience a transformed life. One of the ways you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get connected with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on the Brookwood app. Thank you for listening and have a great day.